Welcome to the Heal Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food and War. I'm Lola Troy, the host and curator of Heal Black Joy, the learning platform for our community to heal our Black joy with tangible and attainable programs for the mind, body, soul, relationships, and businesses. And in today's conversation, we are talking about the ugly truth about sex addiction versus value. Today, my guest is Marcus Alexander. He's a 10-year licensed barber who believes in every man should live a well-groomed lifestyle. He currently works here in Atlanta as a barber. He also has a podcast with the purpose to build up, empower, evolve men worldwide. And that podcast is called the Well-Groomed Lifestyle Podcast. Hey there, sir. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing amazing. It's so good to have you on. How are you today? I can't complain at all. I know, I know. I'm good, man. I cannot complain. I cannot complain. So welcome to our Heal Black Joy tribe members that are coming in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I cannot wait to get into this conversation with you because I think this is a conversation that we do not talk about often enough um just to get into the sexual addiction and just talk about some truths about addiction and specifically sex addiction versus our personal value um i posted something this week that you know kind of give you some information about addictions as it is and so there's some common behavioral addictions shopping is an addiction food sex tv social media and exercise some people are addicted to exercise believe it or not and sufferers of addiction often have personality traits like insecurity impulsivity uh trouble with relationship stability tendency to have trouble coping with emotions and they don't understand performance-based love versus their own personal value the symptoms are need for more of whatever that addiction is physical or psychological feeling of withdrawal when unable to engage in that addiction, unsuccessful attempts to decrease or stop that addiction, neglecting others and activities because of the addiction, and continuing behavior despite suffering problems associated with the addiction. So I don't know if any of those things uh, that you identify with or not, but I want you to get into talking about your story. Like, Tell me about how you came about of a sexual addiction and like, where did it start? Where did it stem from? I know I was, um, me and my buddies, we were like in the second and third grade and we used to be in the back of the school bus and we was, you know, what we call hunching the girls on the back of the school bus. I remember that word, hunching. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't really know what triggered that. But I used to go to school from um, my granddad's house and my uncle um, stayed with him. And used to always go to my, in my uncle's room after, um, after school. He mm-hmm. had a water bed. I used to like to watch house party. So I'm thinking, I'm just gonna go in there, push the VHS in and watch house party. They know it was a porn. Mm. And so how was, old were you when this happened? I was like, I was, I was 12. Wow. Okay. So when uh, 
when I pushed the VHS in and I seen it was a porn, I was alone. And, you know, I never really, you know, seen it. So I'm I'm interested. I'm glued in. And it's like, okay. Curious. So now, now in my mind, it's like, I can go from hunching to, you know, doing this type of stuff. I'm like, yeah. okay. So that sparked my interest. And then I tried my best to, you know, to, to, to put it back. And act like I was in the living room, like I didn't go in my uncle's room, you know, that day. And it was just on my mind heavy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, finally, um, a young lady went to school together. And um, I told her, you know, what I seen. I'm like, you know, you you, you want to try it? And she was game for it. Um, and that's when we end up having, and, and then at that time, it was unprotected sex. Mm. You know, didn't know, you know, they haven't had any conversations about wearing, you know, condoms how to put them on, like, uh, anything, you know, really of that of, of that nature, besides the little class we had in the fifth grade, but nothing at home to prepare me for the situation that, you know, I didn't, never knew when I was going to encounter it. And when that first ejaculation, like, they, I have heard that's the best one you can have. So it's like you're trying to chase that feeling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a feeling that I can honestly say you would never get back, but I was I, I was chasing that. I I I love that sensation. I I, I love that feeling. And and how old were you when this was going on? Twelve. Twelve years old. Right. And this is so common. Like during that time, like now, it's even gotten to be kids are younger. You right. know, knowing about sex. Uh. Nobody taught you sexual responsibility. Nobody even probably taught you about sex, except you said you were like, what, in the fifth grade when you we took sex education? Right. And that was it, you know, and that wasn't even nothing like really preparing, you know, it wasn't nothing preparing me for what I was, you know, what I had encountered. So it was just talking about STDs and, you know, wet dreams and, you know, little stuff like that. Right, right, right. Um, that is crazy. Not crazy, but it's crazy in a sense that. So, how old was this? How old was the girl? Was she the, she about was, the same age? She was twelve as well. Okay, so both of you guys were minors having sex with one another. Neither one of you knew sexual responsibility. Didn't know anything about sex. You just were trying it. Absolutely right. So, since we're talking about performance-based love. Um, understanding performance-based love. And, and in our community, you know, a lot of times our parents loved us based off of if we did something right or if we, you know, we learn performance-based love in school. You know, if you get good right. grades, your parents, of course, are going to love you. Um, and it's not something that they necessarily taught us. It's just that they reward us based off or reward-based love. When you score a touchdown, when you score a basket, you know, you got people cheering you on and doing things like, you know, looking out for you because now you're the star quarterback or you're the star, you know, uh, uh, running back or you're the star basketball player. So you get treated a certain way and then you get this ing ingrained thought process that, oh, I get attention or, oh, I get affection or, oh, I get love based off of my performance. Right. Right. Um, 
did you did how did your childhood mold your views on love did you know anything about love at the time did you know what love looked like relational love what was your vantage point on love like a parent love what was your parent love like i knew my mom i knew my mom loved me and my grand and when i always i want to say my dad but he was really my granddad that's my mom's mom I knew that they loved me, but they wasn't really like that hugging, you know, I love you type. They took care of you, you know, um, fed you, wanted me to do good in school, that type of stuff. But you know, that that emotional, that, that, that infection type, they, I really didn't get that. That emotional yeah. connection. Right, I, I didn't get it. My granddad, he, he was, he was a real tough guy. Hello, Sierra. He was a he was a you know real tough guy. I didn't see I didn't see this man cry until he was dying. You know, mm. um, the whole "I love you." It wasn't no hugging. He wasn't kissing you. It wasn't none of that at all. So, how did you know that your grandfather? I know because you spoke about your grandfather when me and you had our initial conversation, mm -hmm. and you spoke so highly of your grandfather. How did you know that your grandfather loved you? Like, if you didn't have that emotional, uh, that emotional display of affection, what made you know deep down in your heart that your grandfather loved you? It, it was it was the convert. Like once he retired from driving truck, he started driving cab. And that was one of my first jobs was just to push the meter in the cab. You know, when they when they got in, when mm -hmm. the car stopped, that was my job. So he'll always talk highly of me to the people, you know, got in the cab. Like, yeah, this is my grand boy. You know, he's going to be famous one day. Y'all just watch the conversations that we had. Um, he taught me the importance of carrying a wallet. He taught me how to match my clothes. He taught me wearing a belt, tucking in my shirt how to iron clothes on an ironing board, go to school, you know, get good grades. Taught me the importance of, of working for money, you know, that you mm. don't have to, you know, take, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to steal. He, he taught me you values, like he, he, values he, and morals. Yeah. Values and morals was, was, was heavy. And yeah. people don't believe me, but I never wanted to be like Michael Jordan. I never wanted to be no NFL player. I only wanted to be like my granddad and my uncle. Those were the two people who I looked up to. He got me a pager. I was in like I was in the sixth grade. Got me a pager. Um, he he was he. I was the only grandson for a while. Mm. And then my then my oldest uncle he had a grand he had a son, but they stayed in Colorado, so I was still the only one in there. Florida. Right. So I still I got the bulk of, you know, the attention. You know, I was able to, you know, stay the night, you know, with them. He showed me how to, you know, put on cologne, it, it, you know, watches. I was just when I stayed the night with him, I slept in the bed, you know, with him. I drank right. coffee with him. I was just always, you know, surrounded, you know, with him. Yeah. And I think that's important, too, because a lot of times in our community, our parents and our grandparents, they didn't know how to show us that emotional connection, even though we knew deep down inside that they loved us. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not their fault that they didn't really know how to show it to us because 
a lot of times in their day, they couldn't really show their emotion because that was based in their survival. So they had to, you know, remain and keep their emotions to them tucked a lot of times because it could be a do it, you know, a do or die situation where, you know, if they're in the wrong place at the wrong time showing their emotion, they could be killed. So mm -hmm. I don't want to knock our grandparents and our parents for not showing us that emotional connection. That's not their fault because a lot of times it was just that was their way of surviving. And that's what um, my mom told me. That that's how he grew up. He his dad didn't show him, you know, right. that type of love. Right. So I never, and to be honest, it was something. You know how they say you you can't miss something that you never had. So I never missed. I once I got older, I realized it. But growing up, it was like, oh man, my mom didn't hug me and she didn't kiss me. I'm like, that. right. You know, she, you know, but they showed their love in other ways. In so, other ways. So you know, it it wasn't it wasn't no knock against them. Right. You know, at all. My mom, single mother, she did everything that she could to provide the best way she could. So, yeah. you know, it, it was no, it was no knock. You yeah, know, it's no you know. knock to them. Yeah. I've got, hey, Mo in our chat saying, you know, granddaddy was a provider and grandma was a disciplinarian and she never witnessed any one of her grandparents cry ever. So that's very common in our community. So um, kudos to your grandfather for sh giving you and instilling values and morals inside of you. I think that is that is such a beautiful like I like to highlight uh, those stories because a lot of times you know people they talk about you know the love languages and that those love languages that book was written by a white man so it's from a white perspective right. Mm -hmm. Whereas our love languages in our community are very, very different. I had a, a great, a, a granddad, my granddaddy sister was my great aunt. She loved me, but she would cuss you slam out, right? That's but my grandpa. that was her <laughs> way of showing her, her, her love. Right. Um, and so we, our vantage point of how our family members loved us, our elders loved us, is very different than this love language book that was written from a white perspective. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So um, uh, kudos to your grandfather for instilling those morals and those values in you. Let's talk about, switch gears for a second, also in our community, because we want to talk about the addiction. Mm -hmm. In our community, a lot of Black parents hypersexualize their children. You know, especially now, because you got younger parents and younger grandparents. And it's like, it's okay for boys to engage in sexual, in sex early or sexual innuendos or any type of sex talk. You have those conversations very, very early on, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with your uncles, whether it's with your, you know, your, your, your homeboys, whoever it is. You're having those conversations early, early on in life, right? But then the little girls, it's like, no, you can't have no little boyfriend. Right. You can't, you know, you can't do this. Now, I will say in social media, you got kids that are watching their parents or their mothers twerk and do things on social media. And now the girls are being as hypersexualized as much as the boys were back when I was growing up. So do you think, like, do you think fathers feel it's it's easier or 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 push that more on boys at an earlier age, or do you think men push that on boys at an earlier age 
than say they do their daughters? Absolutely, because my uncle, my uncle is like no more than 10 years older than me. So he was more of like a bigger brother, more so than an uncle. And I used to like to hang out with him a lot. So I used to ride around with him and see him going to, you know, different female houses. So, you know, not really knowing what I'm seeing at, you know, at, at that moment, but I was, it was almost training me to talk to multiple women and, and, and do those, you know, type of things. And it's really, you get, you get the pat on the back. Cause my uncle did like when, you know, I was in the sixth grade, I'm in, I'm in the phone number you got today, nephew. So I'll be pulling yes. out, pulling out the paper, you know, trying to show on the phone. And then it, it, it almost came like, that's what I'm going to school to do. I, that's how many phone numbers I can get because it was almost like, you know, I want to make my uncle proud that I got me some phone numbers today yeah. type of thing. And I don't think that he intentionally did what he did to me, you know, but he, you know, but he did. So, right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like, for instance, I know people don't like having this conversation because we always try to celebrate celebrities, but I had to go here because I remember, I don't know when it was maybe last year, year before last where Boosie was hyping up his son mm -hmm. for having sex at a very, very young age with an older woman. But if you had someone, if he had his daughter, he wouldn't do his daughter in the same manner, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times fathers will, it's like, oh, you got to get a notch on your belt. You got to go ahead and have sex early. You got to go ahead and have, you know, you got to do this. You got to go. It's like this overly hypersexualized conversation that men, black fathers, black men specifically are having with their sons. And they and it's not only having it, but it's the irresponsible irresponsibility in the conversation. Is is to me, I, I know it's going to is going to happen. And I have three teenagers right now. So I have, you know, talked to my kids and explained, you know, you can come talk to me, you know, this and that. Like my daughter, my oldest daughter, she's 18 now. But as her body start to mature, I'm like, hey, listen. She knows exactly who her daddy is. She knows exactly what her daddy has done. I don't hide that from her. So I'm like, listen, I've done it. I have done it. They're going to tell you how good you look. They're going to tell you how good your shape is. You know, they're going to they gonna do all of that to, you know, to start putting their fingers in you, rubbing all across you and, I say, you know, that's why I always tell you that you're beautiful. That's why I tell you you're intelligent. So when, you know, the young, young dude in school, hey, beautiful, hey, black, it, that that won't move you because I give that to you. I right. hug you. I kiss you. You know that, you know, that you have that love, you know, from a male already, and it's the correct love. So I already had, already had those, you know, had those conversations, you know, with her. I had the same conversation with my boys. Like, respect, respect the young girls. Right. You know, me listening to music, because I always thought music didn't have a, a effect on me because it never made me want to sell drugs and rob nobody. But 
it made me call women, you know, excuse my language, the bees and the, and the, and the you know, and hoes and all of that. And it made me want to talk to multiple women or whatever. Mm. That's so the, the culture around rap music kind of influenced you into talking oh, man. To, to multiple women. It 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 had a had a huge impact. Then watching movies like Player Players Club, like when I'm watching Players Club, like, I had no business watching Players Club. You know, all you know, all of that stuff that you really don't know that is just really seeping in and just hitting your subconscious like no other, and you don't even realize it. And you don't, and and you don't know if you have an addictive personality. And then when you experience it, now you want more of it. More now you want more of it. And more so of it. let's. So you you have this emotional connection with your kids. You have kind of set that that pillar up for your daughter to not be looking externally for validation from other guys because she's getting that validation from you. Mm -hmm. When you were growing up and you weren't, you didn't have that emotional connection because our parents just didn't have it. You know, they just were not emotionally connected in that manner. So were you seeking out validation? Because I know you said you didn't really have a lot of value. So your your performance was in sex, right? <clears throat> Did you seek validation from women in your sexual performance? I did because my sisters, I have an older sister and a younger sister. When I tell you they went to school, they got good grades, on the road, they get in scholarships. Me, I'm getting phone calls, I'm getting this and that. And I never really got the, you know, the pat on the back and I'm bringing home, I'm happy to bring home my report card with my honor roll certificate. I never really had that. Mm -hmm. So, started having sex at 12 by the time i turned 16 i started having sex with grown women so in those four years I, you know i was kind of ahead of the curve at 16 when i started having sex with grown women and they took it to a whole nother level for me they really taught me how it is to have sex as a you know as an adult you know you just ain't jumping in and just you know going 100 miles per hour like they really like slowed it down for me and just really gave me you know game so I'm can we just do something really quickly because i'm just alarmed and i don't know if any of my hill black joy tribe members are as alarmed as i am we have normalized sexual trauma that is that's abuse that's like that's rape when you're an and, adult and you're having sex with a child, that is called rape. That's what right. that is. But we don't put the name on kids. We don't put the name on boys or say that that's rape when it comes to boys. But we'll say if, if a 25-year-old if a man had sex with a 16-year-old girl, we would call that rape. And, and how about this one, too? Because I remember, you know, being a little kid, and um, like older women, yeah, this is my little boyfriend. And they'll touch you, they'll rub on you, they'll hug you. Hey, come here, little boy. This is my little boyfriend. Inappropriately. And but if a man said that to a girl, hey, that's my little girlfriend. Come here, you'll you'll be you know somebody be trying to jump on you, you know, about ready to kill you. But when it's done to a boy, it's looked at as as something that needs to you know you need to clap you you should you know, feel some type of way about it. 
And that's even more so than that, that that's also adding to the introduction to porn. So you've already felt somebody touch your body as a child. Then you start watching porn and you see the sensation that they're getting from watching. Well, some of it is overly dramatic, but in a chat from a child's vantage point, they're thinking that's something that's really going on. They don't think that it's like, you know, they're acting, you know what I mean? Right. And then when you start having sex because you felt the sensation, now you want more of it. So now I'm seeing the pattern of how you were introduced to sex at a very, 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 very young age. So, oh my God, this is so crazy to me. Like I'm literally having this like, thought process because it enrages me that someone didn't say didn't protect you in that manner and say you know what you don't need to be having sex with a 16 year old child mm -hmm. right right and and nobody nobody came to your for your protection right and that's going on in america that's going on all over the world absolutely Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> you guys, please share this out with your, with your people. Please share this out because this is a conversation that is not talked about enough. We will, we don't excuse it when it happens to girls, but we will excuse it when it happens to boys. Absolutely. And you see the, the effect of it after it happens. Someone then develops an addiction and then you know, now you're changing, you know, lives. Now you're destroying relationships in the midst of it because nobody protected you when you were a child. And that that's unfortunate. You know what I mean? Um, what were the signs for you that made you think that you had an addiction? Or tell me the story about how you got married really, really young and how you felt like your value was in your sexual performance? Well, I got married, I think I was, I was, I think I was 20. I was 20, I was 18 when I got with my ex-wife. Um, I was just getting out of juvenile boot camp in September of 02. That November, I turned 18. That January, I had gotten with her and she was six years older than me. She was, um, she was already 24. By that time, you know, I really wasn't too much interested in, like, you know, women my age. I, I wanted that older women. Older yeah, women. because you had already experienced older women. Right. Yeah. So you, you, that was already introduced to you. So now you were being, you've been groomed at this point. People right. don't understand what grooming is, but you were groomed to deal with older women. Younger women probably didn't even make you aroused or didn't you didn't you had no interest in younger women right so um i got with her and ex-wife already had two kids so i'm a kid coming into a stepfather role when i'm still mentally i'm still a kid i don't even have a job i don't have my high school diploma yet i don't have anything but the one thing that i did have was what I knew how to do good was, you know, have sex. So I think it was more of not what I can offer her financially, you know, material, you know, stuff. It was more on in the bedroom. I was able, I was, 
I knew what I was doing, you know, by that age. And I got married. And I can I remember, you know, talking to my mom and she she told us, you know, you're not ready, you know, don't do it. But you still grown, you know, you're gonna do what you wanna do. Right. When it, you know, we went and did, you know, when it did that, but by by that time, I was already used to dealing with multiple women. I, I, you know, just about the whole time we was together from being together to being married, I don't remember like a solid year where I can just say I was just faithful for this one year. So you you hadn't even prepared yourself for marriage. You were just so. What prompted you to get married? Like you were already dating multiple women. You were in this relationship with your your now ex wife. What prompted you to say? Did you even think about that you were going to stop seeing other women and you were going to be monogamous with her? I didn't know anything about marriage. My my. My youngest uncle had just gotten married, so he was fresh. My mom was never married. I don't really vividly remember my grandmother and granddad because my grandmother uh, passed away at an early age. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't even, I don't even know what, didn't even know what marriage was. We had to go to marriage counseling. I'm in marriage counseling because you had to take so many hours in Florida. So I'm in now. I'm like, man, is this over yet? Like, I knew nothing, knew nothing about marriage. Um, the topic was brought up and it was like, all right, you know, I didn't know nothing about, you know. Well, you were a child, like right. you I wouldn't didn't have know known anything about marriage. So there's nothing for you to even grasp or add to the conversation because you were literally a child right. <laughs> walking into an already ready-made situation with an older, she's a young adult, but older, but she... I would say once you start having kids, that ages you some, that gives you some experience. So you said she had two kids prior to you getting right. into the relationship. Okay, so even though she was 24, she still had an experience of an older woman because she had children. So that kind of gives you some experience. So mm -hmm. imagine now her brain is like a 28, 30 year old woman, but you are still 18. Right, cause she, I think she had her first kid when she was like fifteen. You know, so um, like I said, it it was just it was. So so let let's stop there for a second, cause I'm I'm hearing a lot of things in this in this story. Fifteen years old, she has her first child. You start having sex when you're twelve, so mm -hmm. you recognize there's a trauma bond going on, because mm -hmm. she also has had sexual trauma because she got pregnant at 15, meaning that she's, she got, she started having kids early. Mm -hmm. So she was having sex way before her, her emotions and her mind was ready for it. Right. Just like you. So you guys basically trauma bonded and came together. So now that's what you're, that's what's going on. So you literally started trauma bonding from a standpoint of the things that you guys probably were looking for. You were looking for a certain type of love. She was looking for a certain type of love and you guys came together. And that's a recipe for a disaster because both of you were children. Right. Absolutely. And now you're in marriage, you're in marital counseling with nothing <laughs> to offer because you're a child. 
I have nothing. By that time, I was, I just had like a little hole in the wall job. I had a high school diploma by that time, but I wasn't mentally, you know, prepared to be a husband and a stepfather and, you know, all that stuff. But I played the role as best as I, as best as I knew how with no example, no type of leadership, no guidance. I just, just did it. But while you were doing it, you were still having other relationships. I won't. I was, I was, because to be honest, I, I really, she was like really my own, my only relationship. I never really dated anybody else because every woman that I dealt with after that, they knew I was married. They knew we're not going out on no dates. I can't take you nowhere. I'm married. All we can do is have, you know, have sex and that's just about it. You know, I can meet you and see you for a couple of minutes, but that was the that was the you know extent of what I had with outside women. So, what were you looking in the re not necessarily the re relationship, but the transaction? Because that's a transactional relationship. What were you looking for? Was it something that you were not getting at home? That because a lot of times, what you can't find the, the reason why people a lot of times people cheat because there's this void of something that they don't have in their relationship, their their marriage, right? So they look for outside sources to fulfill that, whatever that void is. So what was missing inside of your relationship at home? At first, it was, it was just the sex at first. It was just, I was just really just having sex. And then as- So was it her? It was that you had the addiction that you needed to fill this void of you needed more sex than just her. Right. And you, like it was the addiction. I was used to it. Then as I started to mature and become a man and realize that, you know, I need this. Oh, she's not giving me this. And then that's when it, it started to hit that, you know, OK, she gives me this. She gives me that. So I'm dealing with three, four women just trying to make one, mm. you know, so I'm getting, you know, I'm getting certain things from, from certain women, but neither one of them had everything wrapped inside of them, you know, to, you know, to, to give me everything. So that's, that's why, you know, I went but you didn't have anything to give them either. So you're looking for something for, you're looking for all these people to give you something, right. But you only had sex to give them. Right. And that's a that, lot that's... of times people that have addictions, especially a sexual addiction, that's the only thing that they have to offer is sex to mm -hmm. uh, to other people. Right. Right. Um, how do you identify with some of the things that I stated before, like uh, impulsivity, meaning that you just you're, you're going on your impulse? Um, did you feel insecure? Did you have a personality trait of insecurity? Did you feel insecure as a man, as a young man? As a... Now that I, I, I look back at it, I can, I can say it. But, you know, at the time when you're going through it, you just looking at it as this is, this is what you do, you know, I'm... This is what I'm used to doing. I'm not doing it in the mindset of, yeah, you know, 
um, I'm really missing something. Well, I, I take that back because I take that back because just seeing that reaction on, you know, as you, you know, you, you committing a sexual act or when you done, when they were like, Ooh, but boy, oh, you did that or, or you didn't, you didn't woke me out. Like that, that pumps you up. That makes you feel Powerful. in your young mind. Like, you know, you're a man, you know, you're not, I wasn't thinking that, you know, paying bills and being responsible and taking care of my wife. It was, that's all I knew was sex. So I knew I knew how to do it well. And to me, that that was just, that that was my cape. That was, that's what that's what I held on to. If I had Ooh, you said else, that was your cape. So you, right. felt, you felt powerful in right. that, in that. Okay, so in your... In your performance of having sex, you felt powerful. Let's just sit with that for a moment. How mm -hmm. old were you when all this was going on? Like, what age range are we talking about? About time, about time I turned eighteen, and that's when I, 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 I can say like the training wheels was off, and it's like I, I know what I'm doing. I know the different positions. I, I know this. I. I, you know, I know most women are used to to this position and all of that. So it was like, and then like they mind blown. They like, what you know about that? Huh? So it, it it was like, you know, it made made me feel good because it's like I'm with an older woman doing something to her that she never had. She's mind blown. I'm young, so that's that's now she's blowing my mind. And it was it was it was just. Almost like I was just, I, I started to seek that. Once I really figured, once I found out that men really didn't know how to have sex, and not saying like I'm the best, but as I just started, I'm like, okay, they, don't, they really don't know what they're doing. And so I have a question for you. Did you find value in that? Like with those older women, um, with those older women like complimenting you and telling you that you're good and, and telling you that you're doing things to them that nobody's ever done to them. Did you find value in yourself from them saying those things to you? Did you feel more? Cause you said you literally said that you felt like that was your cape, like Superman. Right. Right. That's, so did you, did, did you ahead. feel, did you find value? Did you, feel like you had some value then because to me like if you started off insecure and then you felt you felt powerful in that sexual performance mm -hmm. is that where you found your value oh absolutely absolutely because like i said i i really at at that age at that part of my life it's not like i was really making a lot of money or really doing anything of significance you know I, I had my daughter when I was like when I was 19 but it was like I I wasn't in school or I didn't I wasn't growing this business I my mind was just still stuck on on having women like I had it, had, it came to a point I was coaching little league football and I had three women that I was coaching their kids I had on on one team the same year I had, you know, three women, but it just it it, it it just did something to me, you know, 
listen, you know, y'all know I'm married. You know you can't say nothing. You know I can't. This is in addition to your wife. Not right. just three relationships. You had four relationships going. Right. And it was just, it just became, it just became a life. It, that became my life. It was your lifestyle. You know, having three phones. Well, my wife only knew about two, keeping one in, in, in the car, you know, in the trunk. It, it it just became a real destructive um, lifestyle for me. And this is such a normalized conversation because this goes on. I mean, I know several men that have the same exact story. Mm -hmm. um, and most of them have more than three or four or five children, six children, seven children. And they had them very, very, very early. Mm -hmm. Like some of them are grandfathers now and they're in their 40s. Right. Right. Um, and I know men have, you know, were, if you had a man in your, in your life from a very young age, in a black community and in most communities, men are told and taught to provide and protect, mm -hmm. right? They're taught to profess their love, to provide, you know, financial security or stability and to protect their household, Right. right. Um, and you said that you didn't make a lot of money. So your value was in your sexual performance. Um, where did, when did it change for you? When did it click for you? Like, okay, was it the downfall of your marriage? Like, when did it click for you that this was too much? Something is, something is wrong. Or did you ever feel like when all this was going on, did it ever occur to you that something is wrong? It really didn't occur to me that it, you know, anything was wrong. I, I knew I was doing wrong, but you know, just like anybody, you know, especially like a crackhead, they know they shouldn't smoke it, but the addiction keep, you know, taking them, you know, taking them back. So just say if I get caught, I lay low, I chill out for about two or three weeks, then I'm back out there, you know, doing the same thing, just trying to, you know, clean up, you know, well, you know, where I messed up at, make sure I don't mess up like that, you know, again. But it really didn't hit me to like, you know, after, because it, it was probably like a year or so that we split before the divorce, you know, before we had the divorce, but it's like, I'm tired. Like That I'm was your breaking point was when you split up from your wife, was that like, because some people have that, that valley moment where it's just like, okay, my life is a total mess. What was that moment for you? When I was, when I, it was like, I'm, I'm tired. Like how, how long can I, how long can I do this? How long do I want, you know, to, to keep up this lifestyle? So, you know, after that, I had got into a relationship and it made me feel good, you know, no cheating, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to, you know, do right and all of that. And I poured my everything into it. You know, it wasn't successful, but it just let me know that I, I can. It's possible, you know. I proved to myself, like when I was with my wife, I really never had to cook. She cooked. I, you know, I was learning how to cook. I was really learning how to be a man to, you know, to a woman. And I knew I was capable. It was just, I just never really had the urge or really was really held to, you know, 
hey, I, I, I need you to be this man. You know, like I said, I don't know if I mentioned it, but you know, I, I cheated on my wife and had three kids on her. So I was, you know, we'll split up, then we'll get back together. So it was never really anything that really made me want to to be there and and want to be that man, want to be this great husband. I, I was, you know, I, I didn't even wear a ring, you know, for majority of the marriage. I really, I was married, but in my in my mind, it was, I knew I was married, but it wasn't like, you know, some people were like, yeah, this is my wife, and and and, and they just really hold their marriage high, and it's, it's something near and dear. I never looked at it like that, you know. Well, how could you if nobody, if you never saw an example of it? You know right. what I mean? Like, that's not something that you could do if you didn't see an example of what marriage could look like successfully. Because a lot of times we can see marriage, but if you haven't seen a successful marriage, even if you've seen a marriage, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But if a lot of times people haven't seen a successful marriage because a lot of times they grew up in a household where their parents, they didn't even show affection they towards one another, right? Mm -hmm. Or one of the other parents cheated. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't grow up in a household where you had parents that were married, that's one thing. Then, did you grow up in a household where your parents actually displayed love to one another? That's another thing. Mm -hmm. If they did display love to one another, was there is some infidelity in the marriage? So if those things were not present in your lifestyle or in your household, it's hard for you to come up with an example of a successful marriage or to model after a successful marriage if you've never witnessed it and you've never seen it. Right. So you're like starting at ground below zero, not ground zero, but below ground zero. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And you were young and you had experienced sexual trauma and your wife had experienced sexual, sexual trauma and she had these two children and you're walking into a ready-made situation. So it's like, I'm just trying to figure out when, when when it clicked for you and you just said, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Did you go seek therapy? Like, what was your turnaround point? What was the thing that said, you know what? I really have an addiction to sex and I need to try to get better. I was, I was tired, like worn out, like. What did that look like for you? Did you go get therapy? Did you seek no, counsel at church? Or what, what was it that you what I was did, it that you did? I was kind of over the whole church thing because I did reach out before, you know, at church, different churches trying to, you know, really get, you know, into the word and all that. And it never, you know, really worked out for me. But it, it was something that I really, you know, made up in my mind that, you know, I I wasn't going to do. And <clears throat> what kind of helped me is because I wasn't, I was, I moved from out my city and it was, and it was staying, you know, staying with her. So therefore I wasn't really in my element, you know. You got out of that environment. Right. Yeah. So wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't in that environment, was really focused on becoming, you know, faithful I, I i really want to become the man that i know i can be and it was it, it was to me it it became it was easy once i i just really made up in my mind 
what I wanted to do, and you know, a lot of prayer, and then me moving to Atlanta, it just took it to a whole nother, you know, a whole nother level for me. So, like I say, tell anybody, this move has been one of the best moves um, for me. That's good. Um, what were some of the signs that you had an addiction early? For you, like, what was it for you that knew that you knew that made you uncontrollable in your sexual nature? Because, like, at, at the beginning of the, like, you know, I always, you know, set up the sexual encounters or whatever, like, that previous day. So I'd be like, okay, let me have sex with my ex-wife in the morning. So boom, let me get her out of the way. And then, you know, I'm at the barbershop. Like, the barbershop that I had, like, my barbershop, I was in my barbershop alone a lot of the times because of the standard that I had. I'm out here running the streets, but I had a professional barbershop. You weren't cussing in my barbershop. You was respecting women when you came in my barbershop. You had to dress a certain way when you came up. So a lot of people wasn't comfortable with that. So a lot of times I was in a barbershop by myself. And I just had, in by this time, it, it just seemed like women just came out of nowhere. I'm edging up the back of this lady's neck. She's in the chair playing with herself. Had a lady go in the bathroom. She come out naked. It was just like sex. Like it, 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 it just came so easy. Like it was just, you know, thrown at me. My barbershop was a barbershop slash motel slash just, you know, little, little shing ding hangout, you know. So let me ask you another question because you said that you, it was professional. So how professional was it? What was the environment like for you to, um, if a woman felt comfortable enough to just go in the bathroom and take their clothes off, what, 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 what signs were you giving off to her that made her feel comfortable to do that? I was, I have always been, and I'll admit, I have like, Women did you talk, flirt with her? Did right, talking to women was was easy for me. It, it 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 was it was natural. It it was just something that I I did not even meaning to do it. You know, it's not you know how some people be like, you know, they got certain lines. Like I didn't have no line. Like I would just I would just you know say it. Or if you and then like a lot of women they'll come in a barbershop and they will tell you what's going on. So you telling me that he ain't doing this or he don't tell me this. So, okay, he ain't telling you beautiful. Hey, beautiful, how you doing? How you doing, beautiful? Yeah. So now so you're oh, using oh. those things that they're talking to you about. Right. To manipulate the situation. I get it. And and like Melanin Wave said, women can be predators too. Absolutely, women can be predators too. Especially if they feel like they're going to get something out of it. So they definitely will, um, you know, uh, entice a man in, in a certain way because they feel like they can or they feel like, you know, this is the environment where I feel safe. I can do that. So absolutely, women can be predators, too. Um, I know we're talking about this from the standpoint of we've walked through your life being from a child, early exposure to, to you know, sexual uh, trauma, early exposure to porn, um, early exposure to marriage, because like, you were a child getting married. Um, 
I know that you've turned your life around where you're you're walking a different lifestyle now and you have the well-groomed lifestyle, which is not only a way of life for you, but a way of life um, that you're trying to engage young guys in because you understand that they have, they're being exposed to the same things that you were exposed to as a child. So what are the values that you are trying to instill in young guys? And like, are, is it, was that like a passion of yours because you know that you experienced these things, you wanted to start talking to boys so that you could either correct them in some of the things that they're experiencing, or you just want to expose them to something better. I wanna I wanna to talk to, to boys and men because you know, since I, I have had it, you know, early in life when I was a kid and I experienced it, you know, majority of my adulthood is you know, as well. But the well groomed lifestyle, it, it it started off with me giving a grooming experience like no other in a barbershop. And then it was like Okay, it started with the haircut. Then it's like, no, nah, you know how to dress. You know cologne. You know. So then it's like, okay, now it's your appearance. The same you thing that your granddaddy taught you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then once I really found that inner peace within myself, I found peace, joy. It's like now I just recognize and I just see so many men when they walk in the barbershop by certain things that they do. I'm like, you ain't at peace with yourself. You, you, you really don't have joy. You know, so I want to help men, you know, discover their peace, discover your joy, you know, mm. you know, smile. You what know. does that look like for you? I know you discovered it. So what does, how did you find peace? How did you find joy? I was, it, how I came up here, it was, it, it was only God because I was, I came up here helping a young lady in her salon. And um, she was like, can you come up here every two weeks? I'm like, yeah, you know, I started, I, I left my barbershop and, and moved to another barbershop. So I didn't really have a clientele. I'm like, I'll come up here and help you. The money was good. I'm like, man, I'm basically getting double plus up here for, you know, what I charge down, down home, you know, back at home. So I moved up here, you know, looking and it was like, see, like the minute I moved here, like the money slowed up. I'm like, huh? I said, I'm like, no, that's why I moved it for the money. I, you know, want to be able to, you know, provide and, and do this and do that. And I was, I was, I'm in my uncle's basement, you know, by myself. And I'm just having, you know, I'm at war with myself. Like, man, I don't have no friends, no family. The money ain't coming like, you know, it, you know, it, it was. And this lady, um, um, oh. Jare, not Jare. Uh, I can't. I can't think of a name right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But she had. She told me to go to God and ask for my purpose. And she was mm. like, and she was like, surrender your life. And I heard surrender your life before, but it was like, no, nah, I'm gonna be this barber. I'm gonna cut celebrities. I'm gonna do this. This what I'm gonna do with my life. You know, once I became a barber, and then it was like, man, I'm tired. Like I'm frustrated. I got on my knees and I told God, you know, God, I surrender. Show me my purpose. Evolve me into the man that you created me to be. My life, you know, 
And that's when I just started to see it. I started, you know, to see it. And that's when the peace came and making money didn't make me happy. Um, no matter how many heads I cut or didn't cut, you know, didn't make me happy. It was, I, I woke up, peace, I, I felt good. Mm. You know, um, I, I started to recognize that, you know, I need to smile more. I'm not a natural smiley person. But um, I know, I, and that's something that, you know, I'm still work. I'm still, you know, working on that. And I found joy within myself and not the happiness in sex, because that's all sex was. Sex, sex was just, you know, you know, you know, for that moment, by the time I get done, you know, I'm ready to clean up because I'm ready to go. I don't even want to be with you no more. It's I, temporary. It's gone. not sustainable. Right. Yeah. So I have found that I have found that peace. I have found joy. And I have found to love me for me. Mm. And, and not looking Can we go back to that? Because I think that's so important, more so than just finding peace, but feeling like and finding the love within yourself. Because when you love yourself, you're not only you, you have to fill up your cup before you can fill up anybody else's cup, right? right. So how important was it for you to find that self-love? I to be honest with you, I didn't know how important it was until I found it. You know, once I found it, it it felt it felt good. Like I I go and I talk to myself in the mirror every morning. I tell myself, "I love you, Marcus. You're beautiful, Marcus." Mm. Like you know, I really give myself that that self love, that self talk, and it. I think it's endorphins. I never, really, I haven't really looked at, but you, I just feel the chills running through my body when I look at my, I look at myself in my, in my face. Marcus, I love you. Marcus, you're more than enough. Marcus, you are at peace. Marcus, you full of joy. And just the stuff that I tell myself, and then I, I think it's, her, her name is Mel Gibson. She talked about the high five. You know, I high five myself. The, high, the my, high five habit. Yeah. Right. Great book. Great book. And I just, and, and that's what I do now, even before I, I get on um, my um, my daily life up before the roosters, I get up and I just talk, I talk to myself. I, you know, after I pray and I just really, I really feel good now that I have aligned myself with God, I, I'm really seeing what God is doing, you know, in my life. Yeah. I think that is so important. I think um, finding the joy and finding the love within yourself, it's because it's hard to give something that you don't have. Right. Right. You can't give what you don't have and you can't, you can't pour it if you don't have it. So right. uh, yeah, shout out to my sister, sister's Hill network. She, she, she talks about it all the time. Okay. Um, you, you just can't pour from, from an empty cup. Like you got to have that self love in order to be able to give love. Right? right. Um, and so I think that's very important that you said that you, you look at yourself in the mirror and you talk to yourself. Cause I think a lot of times we are so uncomfortable talking to ourselves. We're so used to everybody else talking to us and saying things in our ear, but we're not used to having a conversation with ourselves. Right. Whether it's affirming ourselves 
or whether it's correcting ourselves. We do not spend enough time with ourselves to be able to self-correct and to self-love. And I mm -hmm. think that's super duper important. So kudos to you for starting that journey of self-love and, and, and talking to yourself in the mirror. And I think that, you know, you talking about this here is a representation that men, black men specifically, will start being more comfortable listening to themselves right. and talking to themselves and loving on themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Because how can we, like, there's this battle right now going on with black men and black women. I don't want to polarize that, but we know it's in the air. We, we see enough conversations on enough podcasts where black men are now rating black women or black women now, you know, rating black men or mm -hmm. saying something totally against each other. And what we don't realize is that we need each other. Right. right. So Absolutely. it's important for us to start having these deep dive conversations about things that we don't talk about, like addiction and how, you know, no, it's not cool for a 12-year-old boy or a 15-year-old boy to be having sex with a 24-year-old woman. That mm -hmm. is rape. <laughs> let's, right. let's call it and keep it a buck. That's what that is. Um, instead of applauding boys for having sex and pushing young boys on older women or on girls, it just, that to me, that's just, that's rape culture. And uh, we got to start having those ugly conversations and start having the ugly truth about a thing and call it what it is. It's rape. Right. That's what it is. So um, what what is the well-groomed lifestyle working on? What are you working on now for, for men as well as boys? I'm working on setting up a, a community. I'm working on setting up a, a text community. And since I'm a barber, I'm going to eventually, you know, start going to different barbershops. I'm going to start locally and then expand out. But I want to go in and, you know, have the conversations with the boys. I want to go in and have the conversations with the men. Because <clears throat> when I was out doing all that cheating, I, I had to look at it like I didn't only hurt myself. I hurt, I hurt, I hurt five kids. I heard everyone who my ex-wife had to go and complain and talk to about Marcus cheating on me again. Oh, he had another kid on me again. And it hurt me when, because with my mom, I'm the only, I'm the only boy. So when my, when my oldest daughter found out that my, my youngest daughter was here, she was like, dad, you know, you was the only boy. I was the only girl, but now, you know, Miani's here. So I'm not the only girl anymore. See how that hurt her? That hurt it. Then it was one night I was here, I was asleep. Phone went off. It was some son text. Opened up the text. He was like, Dad, you could have still been here with us. Why you had to why you had to cheat on mom? I love my brothers and sisters, but you know, why you had to keep having kids? And it was like that crushed me. And I messed up. I won't say messed up. I, I messed up the opportunity to be in five of my kids' lives, which as, you know, growing up with them, with their mother inside the house, because I didn't have my dad inside the house. So I ruined it for my oldest two. I never gave, you know, my youngest three at that time, you know, that opportunity to, you know, to, to have that. And it's like I, I took something away from them that I wasn't, you know, able to, you know, experience. 
but I always wanted to pride myself on being a better father than what my dad was to me. And it was like, you know, I best I, I followed in his steps. Like my dad, my dad had what four he had four kids within two years. Like my oldest two sisters are like a couple weeks apart. My oldest three sisters are only two years apart. And then yeah, it's like we like four of us like three or four years apart or something like that. And how many mothers? My dad one, he got three. Oh shit, he got that near. He is, he he got like six or seven mothers. So you know he. This is yeah. this is deep. Like, what you're saying is so deep because I don't think people realize that we basically, a lot of times we just fall into the footsteps of what we saw. Right. Unbeknownst to us, even if your father wasn't around and you didn't see your father actually doing these things, now you've modeled behavior after someone who is absent in your life. Mm -hmm. Right? So... That is a generational thing that's going on. That's a pattern that we gotta stop. And I, and that's what I talk to my boys about. Like I, I I tell them, please, you know, don't be like me. And I'm just so happy that, you know, I didn't I didn't even touch on this, but I was I was kicked out of schools to the point where I wasn't allowed to back in public schools. I was always arrested. My mom had to put me in juvenile boot camp. And for all five of my kids, my oldest is 18, my youngest is 10, to never been kicked out. My daughter would be graduating high school and with her AA degree in May. And just to seeing what my kids are doing compared to where I was and what I was doing, like, it's just, you know, it's amazing. And I just, you know, and I applaud them and, and tell them, you know, keep being better, you know, than what I was. You know, I love y'all. I made mistakes, but you know I'm all you know I'm always here. I, I'm not perfect. I'm owning up, you know, to my mistake. But please be better than what I was. So I got a pledge for you. I want you to speak to a younger version of yourself. Like if there was a younger version of you on this live talking, or somebody that's going to watch that is following following in the footsteps of how you were back then what would you say to your younger self? What would you say to that younger person? To be, because I, 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 was, I was a very closed-minded individual. So be, be open-minded. Like I, like I tell my kids, I only dealt with people that look like me, act like me, people that was in the hood. So I tell my kids, go talk to the Asians. Go, go talk to anybody that's in your class. Go and, 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 and build real relationships with, with people that's, that, that, that's sustainable. Because, you know, right, right now with some of my friends that, you know, I have, like we're kind of, they here, they there, I'm here, and, you know, they there. So take school serious. You know, I, I, I was good in football, but... By me being, you know, a knucklehead, being addicted to sex, I couldn't stay in school. Then all I wanted to do is have sex, so I couldn't even stay on the foot. You know, I couldn't even, you know, stay playing sports. So please, just don't don't feel like you have to hold in your emotions because that's what I did. 
I wasn't a, a very good communicator all the way from, you know, from childhood, you know, to, to my adult life. I, I wasn't able to express how, how I felt because, they, you know, that was a sign of weakness to say, oh, I feel sad or you hurt my feelings. No, be able to, you know, express yourself. It's, it's okay to express yourself. Find, find someone that you can, that you can, that you can trust and talk to. And when my, when my mom, father died a week before I turned 16, like that's when everything flipped and it's like, I just got like hell crazy. Like, man, I, it was just like, I don't care anymore. Like that was my, that was my, that was my dad. That, that, that was my everything. That was my role model. That was my leader. He 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 was everything to me, and when he died, like it crushed me. And I don't think that my mom thought to, you know, get me help, you know, for that. Yeah. Because, and it it made me really like close off and really not communicating, you know, even you know even more and. It just it just really did something you know to me, and I just really want to be able to you know speak confidence because I really didn't I, I didn't have a reason to, to to be confident in myself I I didn't so my my confidence was low, but I was able to dress it up on the outside because my parent you know my mom and they kept me looking nice I, I had a nice haircut so on the outside. I'm looking good, but on the inside, I'm a mess. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people didn't know it because they're, oh, you, you, you got money, you know, for this, and you got the shoes, you got the clothes, you got the haircut. But on the inside, it is it's terrible. Yeah. It's we gotta wrap this up, man. This is so good. I'm so glad to have had this conversation with you. And 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 my last words are basically what you said is that there's a lot of us. And, and I, I talk about it because I'm so um, passionate about healing our joy, healing black joy specifically, because there's so many of us black people, we will put on, we will go get some hair, some nails, makeup, get a haircut, put on a fresh mm -hmm. gear, you know, have on the flyest heels, nails, everything is done right on the outside. So we aesthetically look great, but on the inside, our inside is not smiling. Our inside does not have joy. Our inside is hurting. We need to seek joy and look for joy in all things. We don't even feel like we have joy. But the only joy we have is from the aesthetics of it all, right? We're going to look good. That's one thing we're going to do. Black people, we know how to put it on. We That's are going to say. look good, right? But we just, something on the inside isn't right. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to show up. Even though we look good, that looking good, you know, that's going to last for that moment. But right. how about getting sustainable joy? So it's, it's important that we start having these conversations and peeling back the layers of our community so that we have representation like you that's telling that story about what happened as a child so that you can see the transformation and how you got to a place where you're looking at yourself in the mirror saying that you love yourself. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, That's we really got to do that. So, you guys, I pinned his uh, his his Instagram name. So, if you want to go follow Marcus, 
please go follow him. Go follow his Well Groomed Lifestyle podcast. When is that dropping? Well, I I release um, a podcast where I just speak on something that either happened back then or something that's going on now. I just get on and I just, you know, I just talk and I, I release oh. one of those every, every Monday. And my official podcast is, is, is coming soon. It's coming real soon. All right. All right. Well, I want to thank you again, brother, for coming on, sharing your story with my Hill Black Joy tribe. Thank you for talking about the ugly truth about sex addiction, because it is, it's an ugly truth that we got to talk about. And not only that, but knowing what our, where our value lies, that our value is not based in our performance, whether it's sexual performance, whether it's, you know, some type of performance that you, you got to tap dance for your family and friends and school members. And like, we got to get out of that performance-based love and get into not only loving ourselves, but loving others from a place of our overflow. Like we got to love ourselves and hold that and reserve that for us. And mm -hmm. then we pour out from our overflow. So mm -hmm. I want to thank you again for coming on and sharing with us your story. I want to thank my Hill Black Joy tribe for tuning in tonight. And for those of you that will tune in later on, thank you. And please, 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 please share this out to the people that you know need to hear it because it's a lot of pain uh, with our black men, our black youth. They They feel like they have to offer just what's in their pants. Right. And women too. We we girls is getting outrageous. It's getting outrageous. Like, so we gotta we gotta start preparing our youth, our young adults for better. And right. it starts with having these type of conversations. So I thank you. And I thank you for sharing your platform with me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys have a good night. Oh, yeah, have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Always remember that this healing journey, sometimes it's going to feel like soul food and sometimes it's going to feel like war. I urge you to acknowledge and honor both positions and everything in between. Thanks for tuning into the Heal Black Joy podcast presents Soul Food and War. Thank you.